see that article? I think I shared it to you guys um, about the uh, uh, it was an interview with Kenny Hickey, type of negative, and he was saying how he thought uh, it would be cool if Axl Rose would sing for them doing a reunion tour. Yeah, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> you see that? Like, uh, <laughs> now close your eyes and let me love you today. Else. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, of all the guy, I'm trying to think of people who could sort of emulate uh, Peter Steele's voice. And it, maybe they don't want that. Maybe they don't want somebody that's just gonna, going to emulate it like that. But uh, who's the guy from the Sanguine uh, fucking... Oh, Moonspell. 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 Whoa. He's like the only other guy that's just as vampirish to me as Peter Steele. Yeah, he'd be really good at it. Yeah, but I, I don't know. His name. That, that, I guess Brooklyn Underground, like kind of sludge metal wouldn't be their style either. I, I don't even know how I would describe Typo Negative's music. I'll be my druid elves. Yeah. <laughs> like, sweet druidess of mine. Do you think that it would work really well with the, uh, just the low grinding tones of Typo Negative? Maybe, maybe it would actually add such a good high end. Maybe it would actually be a, a, the perfect mix of sound, and we don't even know it. Yeah. Uh, but I don't really... I don't care about Axl Rose either, so... <laughs> I appreciate the difference, like, just going a completely different direction, but I just I just can't see it with Axl Rose. It just doesn't did make you, any sense. Did you read any comments on that? How's the general populace feel of this suggestion? No, I did not have to find the article, but I don't know. I'm not worried about that right now. Uh, uh, <laughs> I wonder if Axl Rose saw that. They, like, tag him in it. He's like, he's like oh, <laughs> yeah. hmm, maybe. Yeah, he's starting to practice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know where you are? You're in the forest, baby. Oh, uh, you're typo negatives band practice, Axel. Leaves are turning orange. Ah. Yeah, I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna work. They're, uh, hopefully, they're still trying to do a reunion tour, though. Axel Rose isn't it, though. Yeah, just get a moon spell guy. Yeah. Fire season. Everlasting howling. <laughs> he's like the only other guy that has that kind of breathy and really fine articulate uh demeanor about how he does his speech yeah <sighs> those little soft t's yeah soft t's portuguese portuguese band i do enjoy soft t's love a moon spell maybe i'll get there someday all right everyone welcome to the show this is all abandoned a rock and metal podcast we got stacks on stacks on stacks Benny he's just the man. He's got that feeling. He's cuckoo for caca. It's herbivores, matador, Maddie McStacks. Wow, what an introduction there. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't help but notice all of the Faith No More tracks you just put in there what? for me. Um, yes, I am Matthew, cousin and blood brother of Van Rachnid, Jesse Van Horn. Uh, ooh, maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, we've been kind of putting this episode off for a while um so i'm glad i could finally sit down and uh, enjoy it i think i'm ready uh, i got <sighs> i got my got my beer i've got my celtic sea salt water oh really what does it what does the salt do i think so, we're supposed to drink salt water well you know everything in moderation you don't want any other kind of salt other than celtic sea salt apparently i've been listening to this uh 
chick. This bitch on a uh, on um various social medias and she talks about a bunch of healthy stuff and she's like you got to put celtic sea sea salt in there no no other salt will do it it comes straight from oh. the celtic sea and it's got these minerals in it and shit like that Special and apparently salt. with the sodium and the in the salt and how osmosis works with your cells and shit it just hydrates you hydrates you quicker it's the, it's apparently the it's quickest just... way to get water into your body into your system flowing um, so if you're, if you're ripping, uh, ICs or beers, uh, it's a good idea to put a little pinch of Celtic sea salt in your water. You might not have to drink as much water. You can focus on beer more. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, and also I've been a little under the weather lately, so it, it seems to help me and hydrate me and oh, get my voice back to the sultry, sweet cut through butter, uh, kind of tones that, you know, we all enjoy. <laughs> we all enjoy. But Hey, I gotta tell you this domestic shit is pretty much water anyway. Am I right? Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah. Uh, straight from the Monongahela, uh, Icy Light is is the <laughs> beer of choice. Um, it's the beer drinker's beer. It's crazy. I, they, they, you go to Ohio, they don't they don't have Icy Light. You go to West Virginia, they don't have Icy Light. The only place to get Icy Light is Pittsburgh, baby. Just two more reasons not to go to those, or well, one more reason not to go to those states anyway. I would go to West Virginia a little <laughs> bit more. I mean, everyone's Ohio's just. Um, an atrocity of a of a piece of land. Um, maybe we should do some research on it, though. I was in Michigan not too long ago, and you know when you're in a place, you, you talk about uh, the state, and I wonder what the history is, and then you look it up and shit, and then you found out it's way sweeter than you could have possibly imagined. Yeah. Um, so maybe maybe Ohio hasn't been given its uh, its day in the light, or mm-hmm. maybe we uh, haven't given it the benefit of the doubt. Um, it, it sucks. Yeah. Yeah, Ohio sucks. Yeah, let me see. They got Peabody's in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. They got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay. Are any of the bands that we're going to talk about in that Hall of Fame? I don't think so. Is Faith No More in there? <laughs> Probably not. I haven't been there in years, so. Okay. I don't know. They had a big Jim Morrison like Who? exhibit when I was there. Who's that? Long, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who? Uh, he was in that band Van Morrison. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know we lo- we love our Van brothers around here. Um, you got the Van Horns, of course, and then you got the uh, the Van Helsings, uh-huh. uh, the the Van Morrisons, um, <laughs> the Van Helsings. Um, what other Van brothers do we got out there? Don't forget the Van Helsings. Uh huh. The Van Helsings. Uh, it's a it's a whole. You know, it's it's kind of like when um. I, I, let me think of a good analogy. You just know a fellow Van brother when you walk into the room. You know what I mean? Like some yeah. people just understand, oh, this guy's in the same club as me. He's got the same um, demeanors as me. He looks like me in a, in, a, in a weird way. I can tell this guy has something to do with me, even if it's a completely random person you never met before. Chicks love him. Yep. You know a Van brother when you step into the room with another Van brother. Um, usually they're below the height of 5'6". And <laughs> have, have... Almost exclusively. Pretty bad haircuts. <laughs> yeah, we've worked on that over the years, though. Yeah, yeah, haircuts have gotten a little better. We we just grow it out. We just had really bad hair. Mm-hmm. Um, the classic uh, Beatles '60s looking, fucking uh, bang cut mushroom top looking spiel. At least I had it more. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I had a uh, my hair was just really poofy, and then I had that like calic just right over the center of my head, so it was always just like a divot there. Mm-hmm. Like, it was yeah, it, it, it wasn't one of those good looking calics either, because I had a really good looking calic actually. Uh, only at a certain point, it really worked for me. Like it perfect slick back on the right side, no matter what. Uh, so I'm sorry that you don't have a, you didn't have a good colic. 
Eh, what are you gonna do? It's all falling out anyway. Yep, you're fucked. And I'm uh anyway, I'm naked in front of the computer, I'm ugly in the morning. Jizz lobbin, midnight cowboy, motherfucker, Van Ragnet. As he hey, said. So alright. Hey. So yeah, as we alluded to, we're here to to talk Faith No More today. Uh this is part two, we'll be covering the Mike Patton era. An era that's uh, very near and dear to our hearts as far as Faith No More is concerned and as uh, far as uh in many people's hearts. Definitely. Um it's one of those bands that seems to just transcend time. Um, half the good shit that they released, I wasn't even born for yet, and I'm uh, <laughs> in, c- completely infatuated with it. Um, so that, that tells you something. We were two and four whenever the real thing came out. Well, no, fuck. If, if real thing was 89, I wasn't born yet. I'm doing reverse math. I was thinking I was two years away from being born, and you were four years away from being born. Not that we were two and four, so I just said it like a moron. That is correct, if you said it the right way, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if I wasn't stupid. Yep. If I wasn't already, like, 12 ICs deep. Really? That many? No. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, um, you know, me, I'm, a, I'm a, I get nervous on the mic, so uh, sometimes a little bit of hair of the dog um, can calm the nerves. A front man of herbivore, nervous in front of the mic? Yes, yes, it's, a, it's something that not a lot of people know about me, and, um, you know, I, I, I bet Michael Patton himself... Was nervous in front of the mic uh, some of the first times that he went on that big stage. Um, <laughs> but I assume he went on the stage far before it was big. Um, I would love to see some old home videos of that guy as a kid mm. and just see what he was doing in his room. <laughs> like, is his dad just telling him, shut the fuck up, like like mine was when I was playing shitty guitar. Shut up, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Cut it off. Cut it out with that fucking shit. Uh, there's a video on YouTube of Mr. Bungle performing uh, for their like high school battle of the bands. Oh yeah, it's really fucking funny from what I remember. Is it just as tight? Um, like obviously <laughs> it can't be, but like what 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 does that even sound like at that age? Uh, not great yet. They were just covering like Macho Macho Man, and Mike's just like dancing around. And <laughs> That's cool. So he's always been like a flamboyant, outgoing kind of extrovert. It seems. Yeah. Um. Until recently, but we'll get to that. I wonder Towards what his voice sounded like before his balls dropped. Well, it sounded something like this. I wonder, you know, like how those like <laughs> choir boys, choir boy, um, choir boy. I'm a fucking choir boy. Uh, you know, choir boys, like they, um, they actually, some of them can actually try to maintain their vocal, um, their vocal tone that they had before puberty, because they just get fucked at puberty, and their vocal cords get bigger, and they start to stretch. Yeah. Um, heavier, and their voices get lower, and they can't do the same shit anymore. Um, so, so they castrate themselves, or yeah, or or they continue to talk like this mm-hmm. uh, past that point, and it gets stuck there. It's called mutational falsetto. Also, if they castrate themselves, it helps keep the predator priests at bay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a yeah, yeah. That's probably more important for them to do that. I guess they still have buttholes though. So, yep, choir boys have bee holes. Um, but you know, whatever gets them singing, you know, <laughs> whatever gets them singing. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm going to keep this part brief. I usually start off cause we're going to have a long episode, I think. So, uh, you know, I usually like to share with you guys what I've been listening to. So real quick, I got, uh, now, uh, Squirrel Hill sports bar a couple weeks back, uh, Santana's band. 
morning sounds opened up for a little band called the Friendship Commanders. Oh, yes, a nice snag. Got that record right here? Yeah, I was there for that show. Um, you know, that was, I'm not a huge fan of the sports bar, uh, over in Squirrel Hill. I had no. a, I had a little bit of a altercation, um, in, in, in its mildest form with the owner of that place. Uh, one time it kind of left a sour taste in my mouth. I don't know if this is something that people do, but typically people hold their drinks while, while they're watching other people play pool. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So even though I was a foot away from this pool table holding my drink, the guy comes over and says, hey, man, you can't be holding your drink there. And I was, I was like, dude, so I'm not setting it on the table, yeah. you know? And you look at the fucking table and there's a huge stain there. He's like, dude, if you spill it there, I'm going to have to replace the felt. I'm like, dude, what, what do you mean, right? It's so, a sports bar. Yeah. So it was, this big, it was this big thing. And of course, it's, it's not a big thing. But when, something's, when people confront me about things that are that petty, I just can't, I can't bite my tongue. <laughs> so it turned into a bigger thing than it needed to. Um, but ever since then, I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then they get some decent shows, and they have a nice stage. Yeah, the stage is nice. But it, in the, it, the floor it area. they just don't know how to fill the place, right? Yeah, so even like when Friendship Commanders came, they're awesome. Who's the other band? They, they had kind of a Swedish-Finnish feel to them, but they're American, which was actually kind of weird for me to hear. Yeah, um, I can't remember what they were called. You know, I assume maybe there would be a, some sort of a draw there, but maybe one of one of ten people there. Yeah. Yep. But I guess, uh, whatever, more sweet music for our ears. That's right. And uh, I picked up first uh, Merciful Fate EP, Nuns Have No Fun, as it is also known. It's a nice sacrilege there. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting cover. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think I appreciate... The King Diamond. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do I appreciate most about that album cover? There's mm. so ups and down crosses. Uh, and there's also a, a chest. Yeah, there's some jugs on there. Some cans. <laughs> nice big knockers. Uh-huh. Nice big witch knockers. Oh, yeah. And, of course, going along with uh, today's topic, I haven't opened it yet. I haven't listened to it. But I picked up Dead Cross 2. And, of course, Mike Patton on vocals. And apparently we have a Papa Emeritus on the front uh, for some reason. But got it at Ides. Uh, the first Dead Cross is awesome. But uh, haven't haven't gotten around to the second one yet. So <laughs> I'll let you guys know. Cool. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. Speaking of Dead Cross, in the August of 2017, my brother was living in L.A. at the time. I flew out to visit him, and Dead Cross was playing a show. Uh, they were supported by Secret Chiefs 3, which is uh, Trey Spruance, uh, former Mr. Bungle. Uh, it's his band, and they fucking kicked ass. Um, so that was at the L.A. Theater. So Secret Chiefs plays. Uh, they leave the stage. Moments pass. Moments continue to pass. Uh, an hour passes. Anticipation's building. Yep. And building. It's like, wow, Mike really knows how to build anticipation in and a at, crowd. At what point did um, did you start feeling like something's wrong here? Uh, probably about after an hour. So not even like the 20-minute turnover mark or like <laughs> 30 minutes maybe. An hour, you're like, uh, okay. Even at like 50 minutes, you're like, okay, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so then, yeah. By about 45 minutes an hour, it's like, okay, there's something going on here. What's up? Dave Lombardo, he comes out looking solemn. And it's like, all right, here we go. What's up? And he's like, uh, yeah, sorry, guys. We have to uh, cancel the show because Mike was in a was in an accident on his way here. So yeah, like, I'm sorry. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to play tonight. No, did, uh, did the uh, entire crowd gasp? <gasps> Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Could you hear the gasp of your... Uh, 
boiling rage. <laughs> no, that's all I could hear. I was hearing red. So this was extra shitty because I was flying back the next morning. So that was it. That was going to be my only chance to see. Uh, it would have been my first time seeing Mike Patton because we saw them in 2019. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was going to be my first time seeing Mike perform live. Super stoked for it. Dead Cross again. It was awesome. I was excited to see Dave Lombardo. I'd never seen him perform. And uh, so it's like, fuck. Like, shit. So we're checking. Uh, I'm checking the internet, waiting for articles, waiting for tweets or something on the way home. And this article pops up that uh, Mike was on his skateboard on the way to the venue. Yeah. And he... <laughs> fucking Bart Simpson. <laughs> and he, he got into an accident. He, like, fucking hurt himself. But then, thankfully, it wasn't that bad. He just, like cut his head open a little bit i wonder how far of a trek that was for for Patton to make it to that venue right yeah i don't know come on if he was gonna ride a skateboard it couldn't have been more than a few blocks yeah you wouldn't think so what the fuck happened within a few blocks i don't you know, know. Any, anything can happen on those skateboards uh that's why i don't do it these crazy kids damn wheelie boards uh-huh scuffing up our sidewalks so they they, they say that the uh, they're gonna reschedule the show for the following night uh tickets will be honored so it's like, well, that's great, but again, I'm, I'm flying home. I can't. Well, uh, in a little bit of serendipity, I totally fucked up and missed my flight and had to get my flight rescheduled for the following day. So then I was able to Uber back to my brother's and was able to see the show. So, of course, the whole time, you know, we're saying, like, what, what the fuck's a 50-year-old man doing riding a skateboard around? And then, lo and behold, he comes out on stage, and that's the first thing he says. He should have he should have just entered on the skateboard. <laughs> yeah, that would have been, uh-huh. been cooler. Did, like, a little... Kickflip fell again. Uh-huh. Had to schedule the show again, but yeah, just he just compound fractures his, his <laughs> wrist. <laughs> yeah, he had he just had like a little, like a little stitch, like a little piece of tape on his forehead. So it didn't even look like it was that bad. I don't know why he had to cancel the show over it. Just so it was funny anyway. Got to see the show. It was great, and everyone had a great time. So uh, I almost it's missed fantastic. it, but I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. But yeah, it was just funny. Like I said, the first thing he says, like, oh, so what happens when a fifty-year-old man rides a skateboard? And it's like that's what I was saying, and everyone's like. <laughs> We love you, Mike. We fucking love you, Mike. Anyway, very happy to report to y'alls. I finally saw The Damned. Yay! Wee. I got this shirt there. Years in the making. Uh, Brendan and I from episode one, we were supposed to go. We are going to go to Manchester. Manchester. We are going to go on a nice little Europe trip. I've never been overseas. You're, so re- you're really looking forward to that. Really looking forward to that. It would have been my first time in, in, in Europe. Europe. And... Uh, and then COVID happened, so then uh, that all got fucked. And then they finally like rescheduled the show, well, like two years later or something. And then we were gonna try to go again, but then like there's eight layovers between here and uh, Manchester, so all the interstitial flights were getting canceled just because of more COVID shit. And it was just like fuck it, just got the plane tickets refunded, ate the cost of the damn tickets, and. So I finally got to see them. I went down to Silver Spring, Maryland. Uh, my mommy went with me. So that was nice. It was very fun. It was nice going to a concert with her. I drove down. Then I got to have some brews, a couple whiskeys at the venue, and then she drove home. So that's fantastic. It worked out. Nice. DD for the damned. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they were awesome. They mostly played. They played almost all of Darkadelic that I reviewed a couple episodes back. Check that out if you haven't seen it. And then he's like, okay, thanks, you know, thanks for indulging us. We'll play the old stuff now, you know, and everyone's like, yeah. All right, so I saved the set list from the damn show for anyone that cares. They opened up with uh, Street of Dreams, Phantasmagoria, awesome. Uh, And then they played Invisible Man, 
wait for the blackout, and then bad weather girl, you're going to realize, Western Promise, Beware the Clown, uh, Wake the Dead, those are all from uh, Dark Adelic, those last few, Dr. Jekyll Mr. Hyde, Celebrity One, I don't know, I some of these don't make any sense, Leader of the Gang, what the hell is Cycle? <laughs> How'd you get the set list? Was it, uh, did you snatch off the stage? Yeah, no, I was just keeping track of it as the songs were coming up. It's dedication. And then, but then some of these, I don't even know what I was typing. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Sexy Lips one. And then they got into it. Just Can't Be Happy Today, uh, Fan Club, and then Love Song, Second Time Around, Edge of Tomorrow, uh, Neat, Neat, Neat. And then they did a little bit of like The Doors, uh, LA Woman. And that was cool. And then they encored with Eloise and ended with New Rose. Damn, they did squeeze New Rose in there. They got it in. Damn, it's like they just, you know, if all the songs for us to play, of course we picked that one. Like, they even acknowledge just how popular it is. They'll just do it as their encore song. Yep. <sighs> skeet, skeet, skeet. And lastly, um, band from New York called Baby Shakes opened up for them. Uh, girl band, for the, for the most part. Uh, guy drummer. Uh, but they were they were fucking awesome. I picked up their latest album, Cause a Scene. Very, very good. They're like uh, kind of like old school girly, like pop punk kind of stuff. Kind of just like uh, like old school girl punk. Really good. Nice. nice. Baby, baby shakes. Baby shakes. Okay. So without further ado, let's jump in. Tell me about uh why Faith and More is significant to you, and and uh, like what what the band means to you. Any any memories you have? Maybe maybe driving to school. Well, alright, so Faith No More has been one of those bands, again, I've been listening to pretty much my entire life, uh, even when I didn't know it, I suppose. Uh, it's one of those bands that, you know, would just be on the radio in Dad's Garage, um, no idea, you know, Epic or some shit would be playing. Yep. Um, or what's another classic one? The Real Thing would be playing. Uh, I know the feeling. And at the time, you know, I never really thought much of it, it was one of those things which was just like singing and I didn't even know who it was. Uh, obviously got older and got pretty in, into the band i faith and Morse is one of those bands that pretty much just maintains that groove and that heaviness throughout every genre that they tackle and they tackle a shit ton of genres um they they, they choose to go outside of their lane while also staying in their lane i you know what i mean like you can you know it's faith no more but they're it's pretty obvious that they're experimental with the, the sounds that they bring as well. I don't know if Patton mm-hmm. helps just tie that all together. I but even you know, I didn't listen to much Faith No More before Patton. Um, but what I've been listening to lately, I'm like, well, okay, this sounds really Faith No More, even without Michael Patton. Yeah. Um so I, maybe Michael Patton helped to bring a really good spice into it while also um staying within that lane of what Faith No More was. Uh there's only a few other bands that I think can really do that. I don't yeah. know, like Ween maybe. Weenish, Ween. Uh, maybe like Portugal the Man. Um, uh, there's bands that you know it's them, but every album's got its own pizzazz and jazz, and uh, there's a little something different um, for everybody on there. So also, yeah, it's it's also one of those bands you can just put on a playlist at a party, and some like Dillweed won't tell you to like change the song <laughs> because it's a little heavy and has a guitar in it. Actually, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you even see people who don't necessarily. Um, like heavy music or any kind of music with real instruments, still groove, <laughs> grooving their head to it. Um, so yeah, cuckoo for Kaka might piss someone off though. But I don't even know. I don't even know if that one could, man. Like the groove, like the drums and the toms ripping in that song are so so good. True that. It's enough to get any bone shaken, especially <laughs> especially the one down below, the main one. Yep, um, the main bone. So yeah, I mean, it's just one of those bands that I I. I 
I'm conservative with, with what I listen to anymore. I hardly experiment with at least far out, um, far from where, where my roots are. I, far, I hardly experiment with new music, but they're one of those bands oh, I just continuously listen to no matter what. Um, obviously, Patton has a lot to do with that, b- being that he's just a vocal extraordinaire, which we will get into a little bit. Yep. And he makes me jelly with what he can do with his <laughs> with his voice. So, um, yeah. yeah. What does it mean to you there, Jesse? Uh, well, what do they mean to you? Well, since it's all just about Patton, <laughs> yeah. it is a lot about a lot about Patton. Of course, Billy Gold's fucking ripping bass. He's so fucking good. Mike Borden's. <laughs> it's got that punchy kind of bass tone to it. Oh yeah. Um, and I don't even. I don't. When we went and saw them playing. I I guess I was so stoked on just everything that I wasn't necessarily paying attention to how they played it. But I wasn't sure if he was like using any thumb techniques, slapping. But it, it just it sounds sure he like does. he has to. Yeah, I think or he's he just does do fucking plucking the strings they, so far from the action of the board, like no. slapping back. I don't know how he does it, but very distinct bass tone. Definitely, they have that uh, funk influence there. Um, but funky, funker. Yeah, I I said on last week's episode, kind of like you know what it means to me, but I can reiterate a little bit for you because you're here. Great. But uh, yeah, like I started listening to them maybe late high school. Um, Josh, my brother, had all the CDs. Well. The real thing through album of the year, and um, cousin Seth, he would always wear his the real thing T-shirt. So it's like you know what, it's about time I, I start listening to this. And um, yeah, by the time you get to track four and the real thing, surprise you're dead. It's like fuck yeah, I'm in. This is amazing. I didn't realize it was this great. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that uh, how how much better pretty much everything besides Epic is. <laughs> Not that Epic is bad. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it's, it's like, you know how we are with music. It's like, oh, if everyone starts listening to it, you hardly want to listen to it anymore. Yeah. Um, Epic is one of those songs, though. It's just like, if it wasn't so popular, they actually considered that a one-hit wonder in the 80s and 90s, uh, mm-hmm. which is which is crazy. Because, like, did they just listen to the rest of the fucking album? Yeah, right. Like, why, why did that song stick so much? But again, if it wasn't a, a super popular song, like, like it was, you go back and listen to it, and it's like, it's, it's, it's still just so faith no more it's so bad yeah. it's just like oh, yeah. uh, so it's it's kind of stinks that everyone you know knows about that song because it kind of taints it a little it bit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and then that's it that's just it too they think i think that's how it is and they might not even like it a lot of people i, I know that listen to no faith no more from that song they're like i don't really like that song right mm-hmm. it's like well dude like you you can't just rely on that so that it really began to shape my tastes moving forward um I really began like opening up musically around that time of my life too, and that that certainly helped spur that. And of course, you know, I was always into singing and 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 stuff like that. So obviously, like you said, Patton's just you know he's a major vocal influence on everybody. Most people will tell you that, but um, yeah, he always was on me too. And just like driving around by myself, just trying to sing along and imitate the mm-hmm. noises and try to hit the same notes, hit the highs, hit the lows, and um, there's incredibly important band to me so um it's real nice yeah that's nice oh yeah i also think too of uh like driving to school like high, like senior year of high school like picking you up and we'd always jam that i know you got like this and angel dust i know you got your buddy mike into it yeah that's another thing i was gonna say is it's one of the only bands that i've introduced to my friends who aren't into like heavier music a lot that they still listen to to this day yeah. um mike mike mentions faith no more every time he sees me hey mike shout out mikey um, he was listening to the last episode, so oh yeah, he'll probably check this one out. Yeah, All right. he sent me a Snapchat of, of it up on the screen in his truck. 
Yeah, hey, Mike. Hope, Thanks, uh, Mike. Hope you and the fam are doing good up there in New York. Yeah, the baby, the dogs. Baby and the dogs, the man! Isn't, it, isn't that the dream? You know, if we weren't if we weren't too busy trying to chase and the farm animals, all these other unrealistic dreams, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe just maybe, we would have our own baby and dog. Maybe we could together. Get, yes. <clears throat> Plus, we could maybe get paid to stick our fingers up each other's asses. That's what Mikey does. Yeah. Instead of not getting paid to stick fingers up asses. Yeah. If I be, if I was to choose whether to get paid or not get paid, probably get paid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fingers are going in butts anyway. Might as well give me some money for it. I'm one of those free handout kind of guys, though. I mean, like, I, you know, it really just takes, takes asking me. So <laughs> You're all about consent. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, I need to consent first and foremost here. If I'm sticking any fingy in any behe. It's mostly my consent. <laughs> the other person's consent doesn't matter so much. Uh, rape jokes. Don't joke about rape seriously don't do that leave that to us uh-huh yeah well, it's we'll our niche we'll take the flack here <laughs> uh, so well, again that used to be a term though i don't know it's a little tangent it used to be a term the kids would just toss out well you know you're playing call of duty man i just got raped you know what i mean it's oh, like yeah uh so we've just been de- desensitized to that kind of um uh, nomenclature uh within the game realm uh for most of our lives yeah definitely so when we say things and we don't think it's a big deal it's still a huge deal to other people so we apologize. Yeah, I Pol- guess we'll try to keep the rape jokes to a minimum. Yeah, and I apologize for all the um, all the things I might have said to you when I was fifteen on Xbox Live. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> um, I've since grown. I've, I've definitely grown, and I regret a lot of those things. Right? It's mm. like um, Steve Buscemi or Adam Sandler calling Steve Buscemi and and oh, yeah. you know and, you know saying <laughs> you know I was an asshole and it paid off for him in the end. So. Oh, it's cool, man. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I called that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. Oh my god. I would. I. I wish like some of those were like voice chats from back in the day were saved because I can't imagine. I mean, I. I wasn't. I wasn't even saying some of the worst shit. Even you know. Oh yeah. It's like clearly like nine year old kids dropping like hard N words. Yeah, dude. Yeah, like I I wouldn't call anyone an N word, but no, no, that's that that shit's all fucked. And you know, can't we just get on and and play a game and shake hands at the end and put our heads down if we lose, put our heads up if we win, and you know if you lose, try to you know that's that's your that's your fire, that's your motivator to get better and all, you know. Yeah. Now I just quick chat things like. Cosby for president or quick chat champion actually quick chat champion that's uh, me yeah he has a rocket title league. yeah we play a lot of rocket league um we don't seem to get any better at it no um been playing for years and still just get beat in in really like easy ranks doesn't make any sense <laughs> um actually we might be able to catch the 10 o'clock tournament in two hours if we oh we should if we can wrap this up by then so let's fucking let's wrap it up now episode's done guys thanks yeah we just missed the threes tournaments so. <laughs> um yeah, uh, Jared Fogel was framed. That's one. Uh, that's one I'll drop. But it's, again, it's all in good fun. I'm not insulting anybody. I just think it's hilarious. Uh, what? What is it? Don't touch kids. Yeah. What? what what's my quick chat usually come out? Um, the, the preacher. Demon do, dog. Do, yeah, demon dog. Or, uh, don't worry. The 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 preacher forget. Oh, what's it? The preacher forgets once the sun rises or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I feel like I should explain this real quick and then we'll move on but so like uh on the on the the playstation like keyboard whenever you bring up to like send text chats it has like 
suggested words or like things that you that you type or send a lot or they'll be like suggested so it's really fun to just like hit r1 let the cursor jump up and just type out something really quick and just like let the playstation kind of pick something for you and that's kind of where a lot of this stuff came from yeah there's a lot of wacky comments um and sometimes people respond sometimes they do sometimes they do and it's, it's usually a really good time Sometimes like it clearly like distracts people, and then like the the ball will drop, like the next play starts, and then the, the other team's not moving because they're responding to like whatever nonsense gibberish they just read. Shit, maybe we should uh, do an episode on the um, the heavy songs of the Rocket League uh, music list playlist music list. We added some uh, heavier ones recently, yeah, but I don't know. I'm I'm partial to the playing with the boys, Kenny Loggins cover or whatever that's on there. <laughs> yeah. They used to have the original one on there too, but I guess that license expired. <laughs> I actually thought about that song the other day uh, at work. They're having this big Christmas party. I'm like, well, uh, th- think of something you like about winter and put it on your name tag. It can only be like a three, uh, a few words. So I just type "sledding with the boys." <laughs> so, so that'll be under my name there at that the the, the work with the, boys. <laughs> the work get together. But anyway, yes, uh, faith no more. Faith yeah, no more. Uh, okay. So we ended part one of this two-part Faith and More series with the departure of vocalist Chuck Mosley, who would eventually pass away in 2017 at the age of 57, following a pair of reunion shows with the rest of the band to promote the re-release of 1987's Introduce Yourself. Following a rash of erratic behavior on Mosley's part during a tour promoting Introduce Yourself, he was let go from the band. Faith No More would continue writing music, however, until they found their next singer in 1988. Did you ever dive in what erratic behavior he was demonstrating yeah so yeah we talked about this or i talked about this, i guess a little bit um in the last episode but um he was like uh he would eventually die of a heroin overdose so it sounded like like some drug use had a lot to do with it mm-hmm. there was like a release show for introduce yourself he fell asleep on stage <laughs> so he, he must have been you know doped out because how else he fall asleep on stage um but then other than that just like getting in confrontations and fights with uh bandmates mm-hmm. um like um I can't remember things on the spot like this. Uh, oh, I know. I'm I'm I saw too. Mr. Smalls uh, last week. The mm-hmm. fucking the dude stops the the entire set because the drummer was slightly like slowing the song down. He's like he's like Dickhead. no no actually he was playing it slightly too fast rather because I'm good. He's yeah he t- exactly that's what you go to see live shows for is a little bit of a, a, a something different right right um and he's just like slow it down dude slow it down dude and he walks over to the drum set and just like slaps the cymbal and then like just says cut the fucking song. Anyway, yeah. It, yeah, there was there was one instance where uh, one of Mosley's roadies got in a fight with uh, Jim Martin, the guitar player, and it like, broke his hand. And so, like, just between all that sacred shit... Sacred merchandise as a musician. You, you can't fuck with your hands. <laughs> right. So, yeah, after all that shit, they're kind of just like, all right, this isn't working anymore. Um, I think it was Billy Gold had said something in, in an interview about how Mosley wanted to do, like, a bunch of, like, acoustic songs. And they were just like, that's not us and nobody else wants to do that it yeah makes sense and so all things you know kind of piled up and considering all that they decided the guy had to go but i don't know he was he was still awesome and those, those first two records are, are great especially introduce yourself i wonder if he did anything out really after that with, musically uh he he was in bad brains for a while and then i think besides that he kind of just did solo stuff mm-hmm. acoustic yeah i think so <laughs> all right well <laughs> he did what he wanted yep um, at least, you know, sometimes. Yeah, so much of what will become their next album, The Real Thing, was already written. Songs like The Morning After, at the time, was dubbed New Improved Song. Uh, those were recorded on a demo prior to Mosley's departure. Uh, new Improved, yeah, New, wait, no, New, new Improved. New Improved Song featured Mosley singing alternate lyrics that he had written 
this version would be released on uh, Sounds Magazine's Sounds Waves 2 that year. Uh, uh, Sounds Waves 2 EP that year in 1988. That's a mouthful. Sounds Magazine, Sound Waves 2. Sounds Magazine's yeah. Sounds Waves 2. Every fucking word <laughs> has an S at the end there. <laughs> and half of them have an S at the that's beginning. Why, that's why I fucked it up. Um, so yeah, at the time, Faith No More had been auditioning over 15 vocalists, including Soundgarden's Chris Cornell, which I never knew. That could have been interesting. You know, maybe not nearly as like eclectic and dynamic, you know, as Mike, but that, that could that could have been cool. How would that have sounded? What what song would um on off the real thing do you think he would have just aced? Shit, I don't know because Mike wrote all the vocal melodies, but considering the same melodies, I mean, he he could have ripped. I think he would have been good on "Surprise You're Dead." I think he would have ripped the real thing, pretty good. It's it's hard to picture him on on the popular ones though, like "Epic" and mm-hmm. uh, the other one. <laughs> how how would that sound on "Epic"? Chris Cornell on "Epic" on the chorus. Oh, dude. <laughs> You want it all. <laughs> you can't have it. Yeah. <laughs> ah! Something like that. Uh, <laughs> Might not have been a one-hit wonder then. <laughs> maybe maybe not. So, yeah, but only one vocalist will win out in the end. And that finally brings us to the man, the wordsmith, the legend, Mr. Michael Patton. Mm. So it was guitarist Jim Martin who suggested they reach out to Mr. Bungles, Mike Patton, whose second demo he had heard. And uh, according to Patton, he first met the band during a 1986 gig at a pizza parlor. And that was in quotes for some reason. I don't know if it wasn't. Pizzagate, that's why. Pizzagate. In his hometown of Eureka, California, uh, two weeks after joining Faith and More, he had already written the lyrics to the songs that made up the Grammy Award-nominated The Real Thing, which was released in June 1989. Damn, two weeks. Yeah. It's a quick turnaround. Yeah, I know. He's freaking like... I, he probably just—he's like an auteur. Yeah, I don't know, but is that what he was doing full time anyway? Uh, or was he just working at the pizza parlor too. He probably had a job. I didn't read anything about that, but some, I'm not sure how much of Mr. Bungle, how much uh, of his time I was taking up because Mr. Bungle wouldn't record a proper album until right mm-hmm. after the real thing came out, when he finally like earned enough clout with the Warner Brothers label to kind of like bring up his his OG high school band. That's really cool of him. Yeah. Um, bringing it back to his boys. Yeah. So uh, after the members of Faith No More heard Mr. Bungle's second demo tape in 1987, they approached Patton to audition as their lead singer in 88. The band tried out more than 15 singers, including Chris Cornell from Soundgarden, as I said. But they settled on Patton for uh, his versatility. And in the next months, they performed a few live shows together, and Patton would be officially announced as their new singer in January of 1989 replacing Chuck Mosley, which forced Patton to quit his studies at Humboldt State University. Now, so I, I, I guess he was a student, I guess. I wonder why, like, you know, for the versatility, if that was something they were looking for, or they just knew Patton had it, and they're like, well, no one else is going to be able to do it like this guy. Because, again, I, I didn't listen to much of the Mosley era, but are his vocals very versatile? No, I wouldn't say versatile, versatile at all. I wonder if they're just missing that element. They, they almost knew that they needed something a little eccentric, a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mosley's... It's a little flat, kind of monotone a lot, but it's, I, I find it charming. I think it works for what they were doing. Like, it's cool, it's different, but yeah, maybe they, uh, yeah, maybe the band just wanted to take it in a more versatile direction, I guess. So, all right, we'll talk about Mike Patton a little bit before we get into the albums. I see you have some notes. You want to, you want to yeah, start yeah. us off I, there? I, I did my research, um, somewhat, you know, it's not like I'm in grad school on this shit or anything, but, um, 
yeah, so Mike Patton, you know, comes as no surprise that to anyone that enjoys music, specifically metal music, and anyone who loves just vocal prowess, uh, that Mike Patton's one of the best vocalists of all time. Um, it's actually quite known he is. Um, and he didn't acquire that accolade simply from singing in heavy bands either. Mike Patton mm-hmm. is an operatic singer. Uh, there's some good clips of him singing some opera shit, which is great. He's got those that wide open mouth and that like theatrical, that su- yeah, super um, opera esque uh, singing style. He he's done avant garde, alternative metal, experimental rock, pop, funk, thrash metal, tons of different vocal styles, um, in, in, including crooning. Yeah, when I first saw the word crooning, I'm like, I don't know why crooning to me. Crooning to me sounds just like like edging in porn or something, <laughs> like like crooning. Oh yeah, like crooning. Um, but yeah, crooning. I was trying to think of some examples of crooning uh, that Michael Patton does. Uh, but apparently, cr- a crooning is basically just like very gentle, low singing. Um, well, I wrote, I, I wrote, I wrote evidence. Uh, California. Mr. Uh, off the California album, album Mr. Bungle, uh, Pink oh, Cigarette. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, that song's so good. <laughs> I know. Um, and Just a Man, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that? Um, I will not touch you. I am just a man. You can you can barely hear him over the over the music track in that song too. So you know he's just like down there. Um, and King for the King for a day, uh, at the very end of it. This is the best party I've been to. Yeah. Well, he kind of just goes into that crooning style. Yeah, I never used to understand what crooning meant either. Uh, uh, I always <laughs> thought it was just like uh, like Sinatra kind of stuff. Like, hey, babe, give me my whiskey before I pop you in the mouth. I guess if you did that kind of like just just with lower vocal amplitude, it would it would probably be crooning style. <laughs> Um, he does falsettos, he screams like a motherfucker, um, obviously he does opera, yeah, death growls, rapping, beatboxing, <laughs> scatting, um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, he, he fucking does that too, dude, uh, what do they call those, lip trills, uh, raspberries, no, maybe a raspberry, yeah, yeah, is that, that's a raspberry, right, man, I'd love for Michael Patton to do that on my belly, uh, <laughs> oh, Mikey, um, so, you know, so while already a proficient singer, Patton uh, is fond of man- manipulating his voice also with um, effect pedals and diverse tools. Oh, um, yeah. So he takes it to the next level in that regard, too. Um, he likes to bring that megaphone out. Yeah, that's sweet. And the, the, like, the, kind of that walkie-talkie kind of sound, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's just constantly fucking innovative in the, in the realm of uh, vocals and... Critic Greg Prato writes, Patton could very well be one of the most versatile and talented singers in rock music. And Blake Butler called Patton a complete and utter musical visionary and a mind-blowing and standard-warping genius. And they note that he also has knowledge of multiple instruments as well. It's not just his voice, which we talk about that sometimes, right? Like, oh, fuck. Like, how much did Michael Patton bring to this song that the band didn't have? Like, yeah. did, did... to to think of such good melodies did he have anything to do with the actual songwriting process too like did just from a singer songwriter perspective of mine it's like it's hard to it's hard to imagine not writing the the music in just the just the vocals it doesn't like yeah. to me it doesn't the vocals come from the music often in my songwriting um so i wonder how much of a part he has in actually the instrumentation as well 
Yeah. Um, I feel like he, he probably did the most with uh, Angel Dust and then probably Soul Invictus as well. Because, like I said, Real Thing was largely written before he joined. And, of course, uh, King for a Day and Album of the Year are much more, like, guitar-oriented maybe more than, like, the other stuff. So I don't know how Dick much Fox. he wrote for that. But. Soul Invictus is such a good comeback album. Ah, that was so cool hearing that album after all those years of them not being together. And, and you're just wondering, like, is this going to suck? Is it going to be Faith No More? Um, and I'm sure we'll get to that later, whatever. You oh, yeah. Know. So we'll, we'll save it for then. But uh, on the on the um, topic of Michael Patton's vocals still, you'll find about his vocals that's the most striking is just his range. Um, he's actually got one of the, the, the largest vocal ranges by octave yeah. of any singer in the world, which is fucking nuts. I love how it's he's not like Six he's not on like the fucking voice as a as a judge or something. You know what I mean? You know, like oh, he, would never he can be he can be that good and still just be that true to all, all the all the homies, you know, without selling out. Um, that's really cool. He can hit t- uh, six different octave ranges. On the low end of his vocal range, you'll hear him using a deep, resonant, buttery vocal tone in songs like like we said, "Just a Man." You'll hear screeches and screams only matched by a possessed demon in songs like Smaller and Smaller or uh, Cuckoo for Kaka. Um, that, that, that fucking note he hits in Smaller and Smaller. Smaller and Smaller and Smaller. And he just like goes into this just banshee scream. Yeah. I don't, it's insane. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you can emulate that for oh, us. Shit, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't, do you think he's like do, when you do that? Are you inhaling to make that sound? Yeah, I, I don't know if he's doing that. Yeah, I, I think I it's know. like all outward, man, which is crazy. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So while his vocal range is a defining feature of his singing ability, um, Patton himself doesn't really seem to give a shit about it. Um, <laughs> when asked about his range in a 2019 interview, he said a past articles written about his vocal range. He said, "Quote: I think that range, I think that range thing is all bullshit. I don't think that I have the biggest range." Or the biggest cock. And even if I do, who cares? This is not like the Olympics of vocals. Ha 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 ha. There's laughs in there. I could make a record without singing a note, and I'd be happy with it. So even though Patton doesn't seem to give a shit about how large one's vocal range or cock is, he does have some very opinionated takes on what it means to be a great vocalist. Um, So here's a quote from an interview he did with uh, Bandcamp. He says, "Uh, I still see it as I'm here to help, and I'm a component. I think that's important, but let's be honest. Singers are fucking idiots. They think they own the fucking show, but they don't, okay? That's one thing I've learned over the years. All you gotta do is sit back and be part of the fucking band, and that's what I've tried to do with these guys. Right? I'm not pushing ideas on them, because guess what? They've got great ideas, and I don't want to fuck with it. So maybe that comes back to, maybe he doesn't so much fuck with the musical structure of the song, right? Mm -hmm. Because he trusts the dudes, you know what I mean? Yeah. He says, I'm involved in another project now where it's kind of the same thing. It's like, you don't need me. You need my voice. That's it. Right? So Patton clearly does what yeah, he thinks. This, he, he clearly does what he thinks the song needs and doesn't try to come in and change things around. Um, much like a local musician might um, <laughs> that you that you bring into your band to try things out. They try to make it their own thing in a, in a weird way and it kind of gets awkward. Uh, Patton yeah. just doesn't even let it get to that point. You know, it's... Um, so he seems just like a really good guy to actually work with um, from a productive standpoint. Yeah. Um, but again, he, he should, his vocal abilities uh, just do all the talking for him without needing to try to steal the show. You know what I mean? He doesn't try to steal the show. He just does. Yeah. He just he just do, you know? Uh-huh. Um, Patton said he that he loves do. collaborating with other musicians, and this quote makes it apparent that it's a collaboration, even in his long-reigning musical projects like Faith No More. It, it relies on the whole on the whole conglomerate and not 
not any one person. So people butt heads in bands, man. People get pissed at each other in bands. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, obviously they had to have had their, their, their tiffs, but yeah, surely. They, but music guys do their thing. Patton does his thing, and look what you get. You get a fucking just generational band. Yeah. That's just touching millions of people every day mm-hmm. while I touch myself. You get amazingly unique and uh, on, you know, something you can't copy in like an album like Angel Dust. Yeah. Can't that, be replicated. That's the one thing, even as a guitarist uh, myself, I'm like, oh, I want to write something that I don't think anybody else could like reproduce, right? It's just like, Pat, you know, Patton doesn't have to worry about that. I've, I've never <laughs> heard anyone really be able to sing like Patton. No. I know, uh, I think it's, uh, was it Trivium? It's either Trivium or, uh, like, Avenged Sevenfold covered something from California. Some Mr. Bungle song. It's just like, why are you doing this? Yeah. They don't even do it. I remember you showed me that. It's like, <laughs> God, come on. Well, yeah, there's things you can, shoot, like, uh, realistically cover. Like us doing New Rose. Like, it wasn't bad. Yeah, right. It wasn't bad. I thought we, I thought we paid it respect. Yeah. Um, respect. Respect. But, um... It's also because it's within our range too. It wasn't fucking Michael Patton. Though we, yeah. Though you know you did you did surprise your dead some justice. Maybe we'll, yeah. get, we'll get to that later too. Yeah. Uh, yes, we also covered surprise your dead, surprise your fed, supplies your fed. Yeah, supplies your fed. <laughs> <laughs> so that's well, a lot of what I um kind of wrote down on Patton. I mean, I'd be happy to delve into anything specific as well. Yeah, he uh, did a really good job there. He pretty much nailed it. Um. I would just note a couple other things. Uh, let's see. His uh, vocal range that you had mentioned uh, was acknowledged in this uh, Consequence of Sound article from 2014 in which uh, they ranked Best Singers by Range, and uh, he beat out Axl Rose in second place. See, that's why they want to get Axl Rose. For the top spot. Oh, no, wait, fuck, I didn't think of that. Well, for, for, uh, coming back to the Axl Rose thing, I'm going to type a negative now. Um, why, it's not like Peter had the best range. Why do they want to get someone like that has huge range for typo negative? Anyway, nah, um, who knows? Fuck Axl Rose. Anyway, um, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad that Mike Patton beat him out. Nothing against all you guys who lo- love Axl Rose. Um, he, I'm, not, I'm all right with that. Yeah, he does all right. I guess just compared to Michael Patton, I get kind of heated. Mike Patton co-founded Ipecac Recordings. Ipecac. Ipecac. Very appropriate name for him too. Yeah. <laughs> um, with uh, Greg Verkman. Workman in 1999, and he has uh, run the label since. And uh, you've been watching the episodes up to this point. You've heard me, you know, talk about video games and, and how much I love those as well. And if there's one thing I love, it's whenever my two favorite things crossover: heavy metal and video games. So I got to acknowledge Mike Patton's uh, contributions to video games, which includes uh, 2009's remake of Bionic Commando. I think that was on the 360. Um, where he, he actually just voices, he's not doing anything crazy, he just voices the main character. He was the, like, miasmic monsters in the Darkness game. Do you remember that? Remember that? The Darkness. Was that with the, uh, the snake? Yeah. And tendrils like, from the arms? Yeah, it was like these two, like, yeah, like yeah, heads yeah. that would come yeah, yeah. out. Yeah, I remember your brother was playing that way back in the day on the, on the projector in his room. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so he voices those. There's a really awesome video uh, of him doing that. Um, you can find on YouTube just like a short like 30 second uh, video of him like in the booth recording some lines for that game uh, Left 4 Dead he does like most of the monsters he does the common zombies yeah one of my favorite games of all time honestly to play uh, with friends 
Oh God, was yeah. left for dead. Uh, knowing M- Michael Patton was uh, right there with us also made it uh, very, very pleasurable and enjoyable. Um, Extra special, yeah. You, you guys got to check it out. Uh, the 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 voice acting is so good. I, I, they, it's hard to get somebody better to do a, a, a zombie. Yeah, you can tell they're them too, especially the hunter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just doing that shit. Even just the regular zombies. Again, there's a video on YouTube of him recording uh, in the booth, recording the uh, some of the effects for that game. But yeah, the smoker. And then, pretty sure he does the boomer as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, I love that. I love that, like, your two th- favorite things uh, combine. It's kind of like, you know, whipped cream on titties or something, you know? <laughs> it's exactly like that. It's like the sum is greater than the parts. Uh-huh. It's just because, you know, because of the combination exactly. of the titties. So yeah. my two favorite things. You know, whipped cream by itself, whatever, but you throw a pair of jugs in there. Hey. Whipped cream gets a lot. Then better. you got a uh, not another teen movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that that was on that the uh, the the football uh, player, the quarterback, and and not titties. So it was on cock. Oh, because it was because I think that was making fun of uh, American Pie, wasn't it? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't remember American Pie. Yeah, I didn't care about those so much either. Mm-hmm. Stifler, though, remember Stifler? Stifler, remember Stifler? And lastly, whatever uh, happened to Stifler? <laughs> uh, most recently, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Shredder's Revenge. He composed the uh, opening theme song, which is a you know a semi-original take on like the classic uh, cartoon theme. And and again, you can just totally tell it's him. It's awesome. Yeah, you can totally tell it's Power. They're the world's most fearsome fighting team. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I might as well start talking about not just the way he sings but uh the content in which he sings his lyrics yeah yeah um so uh concerning uh his approach to lyric writing uh Patton creates lyrics after hearing the instrumentals and in this well sometimes at least and in the same way uh, as the vocals he approaches uh the lyrics depending on what the music needs his songwriting takes a phonetic perspective instead of a literal one making sounds paramount the music tells the story, he says. As soon as he creates the melodies, he generally seeks words that sound the most similar to what he heard in his head. Uh, on the other hand, when working thematically, Patton says that each song is usually a character sketch acted out by him. You know, sorry to interrupt real quick, but that reminds me of, um, not to come back to like my own experiences uh, uh, writing lyrics and shit, but um, before I even knew Patton did this, I, I kind of had that same philosophy. And um, if I, writing a song, I would hear, I would just, you just sing a melody will pop in your head and a, and a word just seems to pop in there with it mm-hmm. and then i'm like fuck this word sounds so good in here that i couldn't possibly take it out and i'm so attached to it that i want you know you end up building an entire song around that one word that yeah. phrases in there so perfectly um so i'm glad that doesn't really have to make sense um and it just it's he's all about the auditory experience right how do that how that sounds um yeah. so that's fucking sweet yeah it's it's like no genius level shit so yeah, he, so he tries to appropriate their respective psychologies that is like a, this kind of character sketch in his head. You know, he finds whatever the character he thinks suits the song, appropriates their respective psychologies, and he doesn't doesn't make it autobiographical. So he's not, he's really not ever writing about himself, you know. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah. It might, you know, I mean, of course, you know, some life stuff might influence some things, but he's never going out of his way to do that. And so before writing, Patton tends to read books about the specific topic he wants to address and then fits it into, uh, quote, stolen ideas from other musicians. <laughs> Journalists highlight the marked 
de-romantization by Patton on his own songwriting. He once compared it to brushing his teeth. Yet in the 1990s, he either said or hinted that at least a few songs came from his personal experiences. So regardless of the extent to which Patton's statements on his lyrics are accurate, um, to Camilla Albertson of all music, his self-deprecating attitude is self-aware and at least partly a reaction to the self-importance of people in the music industry manifested more clearly in his parody of rock and rap cliches in the lyrics of Mojo by Peeping Tom. That's really cool, too. It's like people who care too much, you can almost, you it just, they just drip in sincerity almost in, in, in some yeah. ways. Like you, you, you can try to be so profound or just, just try to, uh, just push your talents on other people in a way that comes off as disingenuous. So I kind of like that again, him come back to him, not selling out at all to what he believes it should be. And also poking fun at the people that do. And, you know, just, just being better at it. You know, he, God, he, yeah. he, he can do that because he can be better at it. He knows it. There's no fucking way he doesn't know it, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, but that gives him all the, re- that gives him all the, you know, the ability to do that as well. So, yeah, he's, he's cool. <laughs> he's pretty cool. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so Patton elaborated, I want to be myself not say what I am. I guess the idea is that as a singer, you're supposed to inherit a lot of responsibilities, but I never thought of myself as that important. None of us are that type of artist. When I see a picture of myself, I don't get a heart on. Whoa. I wish I could <laughs> say the same about Patton. <laughs> All right. Let's get cool. into the real thing. I know the feeling. It is the real thing. Yeah. The essence of my soul. Ja-ja. Let's acapella every song on every album. Fuck, my voice is so shot today. I mean, I usually I hit that note, guys. Come on. <laughs> it's okay. Coming off a little bit of a, a bug from last week. So, All right. So um, Faith and More's The Real Thing was released in 1989. The album reached the top 20 on the U.S. charts, thanks largely to MTV's heavy rotation of the epic music video, which features Patton in a Mr. Bungle t-shirt. Dude. Again, like we were saying. Free advertising. He's for, always... Yeah. Yeah, he's always... Supporting his, his, his original boys. That's cool. Always bringing them up. Putting the ladder down, as it were, instead of pulling it up. So, yeah, like, uh, I don't know. It, again, if you've been watching, normally I like to do, like, lyric breakdowns and stuff. But we have a lot to get through. So I'll just do a rundown for a few songs on the real thing. And then I'm not really going to get into that further. Uh, Patton, as we mentioned, writes to serve the music. This approach influences his lyric writing as well. And as such, lyrics for him are less important word to word. That's not to say that he writes total nonsense, like, say, Anthony Kiedis. Uh, there are <laughs> overarching... <laughs> there are overarching themes and ideas each song captures incredibly effectively. Uh, that's also not to say that he won't go full Taz the Tasmanian Devil and spit gibberish sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even in such cases, it's to serve the music and, and the point of the song, like uh, Cuckoo for Kaka. That's all to say that there isn't, you know, not, not too much for me to say about lyrics on the real thing. Uh, it's also important to note that Patton's writing as the newest band member was constrained by the producer and the studio. Boo. Boo. Music industry. Boo. Boo. Regarding the real thing, longtime Faith No More producer Matt Wallace said, All the music was written before Mike joined the band, which had gotten rid of the original singer, Chuck Mosley, and the tracks were either in pre-production or being recorded when Mike came in. And when he'd ask if he could make a section longer or different, the band would say, No, this is it, so you have to do it this way. So Mike Patton wrote every lyric and melody to that record over a 10 to 12 day period. 
And it's stunning because he was 19 or 20 and pulled all that out of the air and put together an incredible record. The only thing we did was spend a couple of days at this coffee shop in San Francisco because a lot of the songs were really dark and heavy lyrically, crazily so. And I would sit there and go, Mike, these are some great lyrics, but we need to we need to at least use some metaphor or couch some of the concepts. But I think you've got some great ideas here. Or maybe maybe just put a, a baby right here. Put put baby in here, and maybe it'll sound better. <laughs> put we need a we need a baby girl. Um, in the end, they really pulled some great songs together. Yeah, producers, man. Producers, man. Fucking producers, man. God I hate them. <laughs> Former bandmate. Uh, William Winant, who uh, played with Patton and Mr. Bungle and later contributed to 2010's Mondo Kane project. He singled out Patton's immediacy to concretize musical ideas he has in his head. Faith and More bassist Billy Gold observed his reaction to the backbone of the songs from The Real Thing and concluded, Patton was trying to figure us out at first, but he has this key to understanding music on a real gut level, and his ideas honestly made these songs even better. Cool. So let's dive into the shallow end of the tracks on this album. Uh, and again, you can jump in if you have anything to say at any time. Yeah. From Out of Nowhere is about loving on a chick. Not much to say there. Uh, Epic is perhaps about desire and ambition, about coveting the unobtainable, perhaps about dissatisfaction generally. Uh, it might also allude to drug use or something, uh, like tracks on past albums that we discussed in the last episode. Um, overall, though, I think it's kind of just about carnal experience. Uh, seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, tasting. You know, the senses. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Merriam-Webster defines epic uh, as a noun, a long narrative poem in elevated style recounting the deeds of a legendary or historical hero, a series of events or body of legend or tradition thought to form the proper subject of an epic. Those are uh, two different uh, definitions there. And as an adjective of relating to or having the characteristics of an epic or extending beyond the usual or ordinary, especially in size or scope. So taking the definition of epic into account, we're all the heroes of our own epics. Our lives are one long poem of experiences and stories of achieved goals and dashed dreams. And any, any thoughts or farts? Nah, pretty much summarizes life. Yeah, yeah. I guess epic is life. Farts and farts, they fade. So, yeah... So we kind of uh, alluded to this earlier, but, you know, as far as, like, poppy, like, studio-ish songs go, I mean, you know, Epic's still pretty good. Are there any other poppy studio-ish, uh, poppy-ish songs that could fit into the Epic category that Faith No More has done? Uh, Midlife Crisis <sighs> was a big one, but it's 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 not, it doesn't have that, like, studio-ish sound, though. Yeah, like, what what is it that makes Epic just so distinct? Is it just that sound mixed with the poppiness? I, I guess because there's a I lot, and, and again, right, like the rapping. I guess kind of. You know, where's the line rapping. between pop and groove in Faith No More? Yeah, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Well, that's a good question. Um, from mm-hmm. out of nowhere, of course, the first track was the first single, and that has a music video as well. So that's that's up there with it. Yeah, song's so good. So those two, I think, would be the closest in relation to like, you know, a more studio feel. But but I don't know. It still works. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say it's cheesy, but again, is it only cheesy, cheesy because because of the notoriety, because it's right. a one-hit wonder, because MTV fucking played it until you didn't want to listen to it anymore, because Rock Band put it on their video game? Like, yeah. is that the reason why it's cheesy? Because it's pretty good. It is good. 
But again, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, if you're going to put a song on Rock Band, I, I don't know. Like, why that one? Yeah. I guess because no one, no one could, well, rock, exactly. Rock Band has singing attached to it, so <laughs> yeah. um, they're definitely not going to put, like, smaller and smaller on there or something. Yeah. Um, Just fail the song every time that screech comes in. <laughs> uh, bassist uh, Billy Gold said it was conceived naturally as a riff in the studio between Roddy, myself, and Mike Borden during rehearsal. That later got fleshed out into an entire song. He also said that after the disappointing performance of the album's first single, From Out of Nowhere, the record label had low expectations and let the band pick whatever song they wanted as the next music video, and thus um, the next single. Uh, so we picked Epic because it just felt the most natural at the time. We had very little expectations of it becoming a commercial hit, said Gold. Isn't that crazy? A disappointing performance from out of nowhere? Yeah. That song is worlds better than Epic. You know? Yeah, I think it's better too. But. Um, and he just goes off into such visceral, like, when you say goodbye. <laughs> like, the, I, you can hear his young 19, 20 year old self in in that throughout that whole album. Goodbye. Uh, yeah, dude. Fucking, it's cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, that's, that's, it's crazy, man. It makes you think about critics and music critics and stuff. And it's like, the fuck do you know, dude? Yeah. So, I, I, that, that quote's interesting too because it kind of makes it seem like it maybe they it wasn't like a studio pressure song but uh-huh. but I, I don't know Oof. cool anyway um, next up we got Falling to Pieces Falling to Pieces is about struggling with indecision and choice paralysis uh, about inaction and anxiety and the peaks and valleys of life yeah what's a defining lyric from that song I'm falling to pieces. Somebody put me together. Yeah, I, I like the one. It's like a from the bottom. It looks like a steep incline. Yeah. From the top, another downhill slope of mine. But I know. Like <laughs> a picture by Nate, doctor. That's fucking sweet. Yeah, that song has a music video as well. That's good. Yeah, surprise your dad is about murder, and uh, you know maybe like a tormented spirit reliving the painful moment of death over and over again for eternity lyrics in that song are insane um fuck i i I don't know he says the words so fast but i think it's just i remember the first time i listened to that song it was like the first time i saw my brother playing uh resident evil 2 on playstation like i I was just kind of (laughs) scared um i was like holy fuck i can't i can't believe a song did this to me i was young when i heard it you know it's like um he's like guess what it never ends and you're just like (laughs) You're like high and shit. You're like, oh fuck, oh, oh. It, it never ends. Oh shit. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that song's like, that song's terrifying. So the reason that that track stands out on the album so much is uh, it was composed by Jim Martin, uh, guitar player, in the 1970s while he was guitarist for Agents of Misfortune. Uh, Agents of Misfortune also featured Cliff Burton of Metallica fame in their lineup. Uh, I believe they were like high school mates. Um, the recording of the song took place in December of 1988 after Chuck Mosley was fired from the band and was completed prior to the hiring of Mike Patton, who then wrote all the lyrics for the songs and recorded them the following month over the music. Dude, they just give him a song. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll get these lyrics done like by, by noon. So, yeah. You know, I'll have it in by noon. Yep. Crazy. Oh, time for coffee. And yeah. And then, so, as we hinted out earlier, Surprise Your Dead was one of our staple covers uh, with Duberstank mm-hmm. and all... I'll spice in one of those shitty recordings from my phone here uh, uh, in post. Fuck it. We'll do it in post. Mm-hmm. Zombie Eaters. This might be my favorite song on the album. Yeah. 
It's it's one of them for me. I don't know. That's a huge one for me and Mikey, who we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, and now that he has a, a newly born child, um, I hope he really relates to this song even more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this song's amazing. It's, it's really the, From the title down to the lyrics, down to the, the acoustic infusion and just that crunchy fucking pop guitar that, that opens up the... Dude, awesome. And then that groove that follows. Oh, fuck. Yeah. We're going to listen to this album after we're done recording this, by oh, the way. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Zombie Eaters, despite the title, is a superbly written song about the relationship between parent and child. Which, again, I don't know where Zombie Eaters comes from, but um, maybe not the heaviest concept for a rock do album. Th- do, sorry, do you think it's because um, kids just feed off parents in every, sing- like, every way? Like, it's just such an unending need for them. Just like a zombie needs brains man that's analogous yeah, that could be it's just like the kids feeding from the moment like in the womb it's just eating off you it's just like so I, that's how yeah. i always that's how i always like okay. interpreted it yeah that makes sense yeah i was thinking like, he's calling like, a child like a zombie zombies. eater yeah like zombie eaters it would imply that right but <laughs> <Yeah>. um <laughs> uh i don't know that's that's what i always got from it at least yeah 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 but yeah but they managed to make a concept like a the parent-child relationship heavy as a child, the parent is omniscient, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful, they're God. But as the child ages, as the lyrics state, I begin to see through your eyes, all the former mysteries are no surprise. And the <sighs> flaws and earthly humanity of the parent become apparent. Wordplay, fuckers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the real thing is harder to define. Um, I think to say it's about drug abuse is a little too reductive. Uh, there are lines to point to that, but I think there's kind of like a double meaning, so... Uh, I think it's largely about the, the nature of inspiration, uh, the fulfillment you get when your inspirations help you achieve a goal, help you create something that you're proud of, uh, which may, in turn, then inspire others. Uh, some creators may use drugs as an inspiration, but it's self-destructive and often has the opposite effect of what the user thinks they're achieving. And it's like poisoning and damaging your brain to enhance a fleeting experience at the possible expense of a longer, healthier life. Wow. Yeah. 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 Uh, underwater love. Pretty self-explanatory. It's about, you know, making making fucks underwater. Cool. But, <laughs> but yeah, to make it a little more interesting, you, you could picture like a mermaid or a siren uh, pulling their victim into the depths for sweet, murderous copulation. Whoa. Duper Stank's 43rd album. <laughs> murderous copulation. <laughs> Dude, fuck yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Could be Shryock as well. Shryock could write that, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was that Netflix thing we watched with the, with the siren? Was that Love, Death, and Robots? Yeah, really, really good episode. That yeah. episode's so cool. That was awesome. I, I think they did, they, they depict sirens uh, really well in that. It's like this random like lake siren, though. You know, it's not like in the ocean or some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that, you know, the, you know the, the beauty and the tantalizing nature of the siren. And as soon as she starts to scream, it just physically pulls them towards her. And it's and they they're doing like an orchestrated dance on their way to her. Fuck, it's really good art. Yeah, good art. Art. You think you think Mike Patton did the the, the siren scream? They probably just put it on. <laughs> they, they did something with a computer for that fucking thing. Uh, they could have gotten Mike Patton. It would probably would cost more. Yeah, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, the morning after is also fairly self-explanatory. Uh, it captures the feeling of waking up after a night of debauching that culminates in a one-night stand. Uh, he or she is gone the next morning, but traces remain, especially fluids and blood. Mm-hmm. Find a nickel. 
Uh, like Underwater Love, there are some monster metaphors with lyrics on this track suggesting a werewolf-like transformation, like the amnesia of the night before and the bloodstained tattered clothes. Cool. Bloodstains on my tattered clothes. Whoa. And finally, one of my favorites, Edge of the World, which is hilariously about a pervert courting a child, but it's like to the tune of a classy like cabaret slash like jazz club tune. <laughs> So people do write about that kind of shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, I love that song. I think it's hilarious. Uh-huh. I'm also super attracted to children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the edge of the world as yeah, we it. know it. <laughs> Don't be touching kids out there. No diddles. Yeah, wordplay is cool. You can diddle some words. Don't diddle kids. Would you like some candy? <laughs> <laughs> um. An unreleased track titled Sweet Emotion was later re-recorded with different lyrics as The Perfect Crime, which was then released on the soundtrack to Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey in 1991. Jim Martin also made a brief cameo in the film as Sir James Martin as the head of the Faith No More Spiritual and Theological Center. (laughs) I don't remember that part. I used to love that movie when I was a kid, though. Yeah. I got to rewatch that. I used to love that movie. It's Faith No More Spiritual Center. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hilarious. I just remember being terrified by, like, they're like going between worlds or something, and uh, one of them can't remember if it's a uh, uh, Bill or Ted, but like at one point it's like in this like icy like blue tunnel, and then they're like in this like red like fleshy looking tunnel, and like there's like a like the Easter Bunny or like the Energizer Buddy or something's like coming after them, which is really fucking weird. I, I just remember being like freaked out by that as a kid, but but still oddly like transfixed by it. Is uh, Faith No More playing while that's happening? No, I mean I don't know. I don't remember. I'm not sure when the. If there's anything like in the movie itself, or it's just, or if it's just on the soundtrack, mm-hmm. but um, the perfect crime sounds like it's from the real thing recording sessions. But according to writer Josh Katzowitz in a series of articles dubbed "365 Days of Mike Patton," Patton singing makes it sound like an outtake from the real thing because he's a little nasally. But in reality, he was in the middle of making his transition to the more well-rounded singer he'd become on the Angel Dust album. I love good transition. Good transition. So this is fun. This finally brings us to the uh, famous rivalry Faith No More slash Mr. Bungle slash Patton fans may know well. That is Mike's slightly exaggerated rivalry with fellow Californian musician Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, as I mentioned in the last episode, Faith No More had toured with the Chili Peps during their Uplift MoFo party tour, and they got along just fine. Uh, some speculation attributes the feud to jealousy over Faith No More's meteoric rise to success with The Real Thing. Uh, but nonetheless, following the release of The Real Thing in 1989 and the video for Epic particularly, however, Kiedis got upset. Uh, Kiedis accused Mike Patton of stealing his style in the Epic music video. He told Kerrang! magazine, My drummer says he's gonna kidnap Patton, shave his hair off, and cut off one of his feet just so he'll be forced to find a style of his own. In a separate interview, he clarified his comment, remarking, I love The Real Thing, and I liked his vocals on that record. I mean, when I heard the record, I noticed subtle similarities, but when I saw that video, it was like, wait a second here, what the fuck? Because he just thinks he's, like, copying his mannerisms and stuff, which I don't, I haven't seen enough Anthony Kiedis, like, live performance stuff to even know how true it is. Take it as an inspiration. The only reason he's jealous is because it's just getting, it's just blowing up. Yeah. You know, if it was enough, then it would have been a big deal. Yeah. Right? Right, right, right. Um, so Roddy Bottom responded by saying, uh, to me, our band sounds nothing like Red Hot Chili Peppers. If you're talking about long hair, rapping with his shirt off, then yeah, I can see similarities. 
But beyond that, I can't see any. I haven't talked to them since this whole thing started. We're really good friends with that band, and I'd like to think they're doing it, like, as a favor. Regarding the perceived conflict, Red Hot Chili Peppers bassist Flea stated in a 96 interview, quote, there was never any fight between us. That was a bunch of bullshit created by the media. I mean, I think they're a good band. Maybe there was something said between Anthony and the singer, Patton, but it all means nothing to me. Those guys in the band are nice people, and there's no fight. Let's not fight. Wow, Flea doesn't want to fight. Let's not fight. Yay, Flea. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's it's a pretty interesting dispute. Um, but honestly, if there wasn't something going on, would Faith No More have put on that famous uh, doppelganger set where they dressed up like the Chili Peppers? Oh, that was Mr. Bungle. Oh. But I'll, I'll get to that. That's coming up. So uh, Mike Patton finally addressed the allegations uh, from Kiedis in 1990, commenting that, uh, quote, it just kind of came out of the blue. It doesn't bother me a bit. I got a real big kick out of it, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I mean, if he's going to talk about me in interviews, that's fine. It's free press. Mm-hmm. Either he's feeling inadequate or old, I don't know. But I have no reason to talk shit about him. Later in 2001, Patton also theorized that, I think Anthony, deep down, feels like I'm a better dancer than he is. <laughs> I think I shake my booty just a little bit fresher than he does. And if he would stop doing drugs, I think he could outdance me. Maybe one day we'll have a break off. Just break dance. Whoa. <laughs> like to see it. It'd be like a um, celebrity death match or something. Yeah. Uh, the spat wouldn't be over yet, however. Uh, Mike Patton would reunite with Mr. Bungle in 1998 following a temporary breaking up of Faith No More. Uh, Mr. Bungle would release their third album, California, in the July of 1999. Check it out. That's California. It's, it's one of my favorite Mr. Bungle albums. Oh, it's awesome. California, released July of 1999. But that would not happen without some conflict with fellow Warner Brothers label mates, the Chili Peppers, yet again. It's alleged that Kiedis forced the label to push back the release of California, especially due to, to the album's the album title's similarity to Californication, which was released the previous month in June. So again, there's weird shit going on there. Like mm-hmm. you almost have to wonder if Mike Patton is kind of like purposely Tro- prodding like, him just trolling point. a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the conflict would spill over into touring for these albums that summer, during which Mr. Bungle's sets were being pulled. Uh, Kiedis threatened to pull the Chili Peppers off of any bill that featured Mr. Bungle, so they won out, and Baby got his way. Ah, good. Oh. Anthony, you got your way. No, Baby, you got your way. Um, reasonably irked, Mr. Bungle played a Halloween show, dressed as the Peppers, and opened the set by uh, covering purposefully sloppy versions of Around the World and Give It Away while mocking heroin injections and coke snorting and yelling things like Anthony Kiedis is a junkie. That's really funny. The full set is on YouTube. Uh, search Mr. Bungle Halloween 1999 and you'll find it. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, holy shit. That's that's awesome. Anthony Kiedis is a junkie. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, just the balls to do that too. Like, I don't know. You Diva. Yeah, dude. Well, I'm not playing with those guys. Yeah, that's kind of horseshit. Like, I guess the Chili Peppers wouldn't need any other kind of band. Like, and they wouldn't want another band to necessarily bring, a, like, a draw for them. But you'd think it more would... More talented band. Yeah, it, it would just be more talent, more people at a sh- at, 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 go like at that tour. I don't know. They probably fucking sold out every gig anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, right. But just to fuck with other people's, like, livelihoods and money and stuff, it's just uh, mm-hmm. it's so low and stupid. Hey kids, it's me, Van Ragnant here. I decided I'm going to go ahead and milk another episode out of this recording 
uh, lest you be spoiled into thinking or into expecting, you know, two, two and a half hour long episodes. It's probably going to be a rarity, so, uh, sorry. So we covered through the real thing on this episode. In a couple weeks, we will be back to um, air the rest of this for you, in which we will cover Angel Dust through Soul Invictus, as well as our, uh, you know, Matt Van Horner and I's experiences going to see the band in a, in a, the old Big Apple there in New York City. So uh, with that, I had spoken earlier on in the episode about um, a, a little uh, project of ours, Duberstank, covering Surprise Your Dead from The Real Thing, as well as New Rose from The Damned. So I will go ahead and splice a shitty recording from my phone in here for you guys from a set. I feel like it was 2021, though my phone says 2022, but I feel like that can't be right. But uh, either way, I hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back next time. That's it. That's all we have. Thank you for listening, and enjoy some Duberstank. Thank you, boys. We got two more beer. We got two more beer. Give me a nice light. Thank you. Yeah. Say what else do you need? Do you guys need a beer? I can take a sip before this next one. I might be on Jesse. Jesse is uh, no, but I'm saying not Vocal extraordinaire. Jesse Gamon, my cousin, my blood. Happy to have him here and do your sanctity tonight. Woo! Woo! My Woo! Woo!
All right, we got one more. Yeah. You guys might know this one. It's by the Damn. One more. Hell yeah, yeah it's a cover song by the Damn. I hope everyone's having a good time. I just have one. Yeah, this next one's a perfect song. song. Thanks for letting us start the party, everybody. Thank you. Yeah. Excited to hear everybody. Thanks to the band from New York. Yeah, I yeah, appreciate yeah. you guys. Welcome to Pittsburgh. Tonight. If you need a nice delay, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, T, I just have one question for you. Is she really going out with him? Podcast, a product of Jolly Jelly Media, is proudly recorded in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. All Abandoned is written, edited, and produced by Jesse Van Ragnid. The opening theme music was written by Matthew Van Horn and was recorded by Matthew Van Horn, Anthony Capozzi, and Nicholas Petruniak. You can write into the show by email at jollyjellymedia at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.